All right, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Second <clears throat> Timothy 4, 1 through 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be urgent, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Be, un, be complete in, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, apart from you, we can do nothing. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, it is good to be here with you. I've uh, been on a little razoo of 7,500 miles. Uh, three weeks ago, I preached south of Tampa at the one and only Russian-speaking PCA church. And then uh, very, very conveniently, the next Sunday, I preached in New Hampshire. So it was just a, just a little 1,500-mile jaunt up there. And then the next Sunday, I preached in Hampton, Virginia, and now I'm here with you. So 6,500 miles of that was behind the wheel. And uh, so, praise God, I made it back. And um, it's great to be here with you. <clears throat> For those of you all that don't know, it's, it's great to see some visitors today. And so I, my full-time job, in a sense, is I'm still a missionary to Russia. So if you uh, wonder why I'm going to tell you a story from Russia, that's because I'm, I'm still ministering there uh, for my day job, and then uh, as the Lord gives me ability, I'm also an assistant minister here, minister here, yeah, so that's why back in 1991, Kathy and I and our three children had been in uh, the Soviet Union from October of 1990, and this is very loud to me, <laughs> I got two microphones, I think, working here, what's that? Okay. So, anyway, I'm loud anyway, but it seems especially loud. Does it seem loud to you all? Or maybe my, ear, my hearing aids are working too well. <laughs> that could be the problem. Never know. <laughs> oh, that does sound better. Okay, <laughs> I turned them down. Very good. Well, the first time I've ever had to do that. Okay, so January of 1991, I got invited to a party. Now, uh, that sounds pretty normal. It was... We were in the Soviet Union, but it wasn't just any party. It was the Communist Party. So 
I had been teaching English for a few months to very well-connected people that, that knew the communist leaders of the Soviet Union. And uh, I was invited to a palace to show you how far, uh, how much the country was breaking up. They asked me to come speak to one of history's last Communist Party meetings in January of 1991, and there was no heating in the building. And in case you don't know, in January, it's a little cooler than it is in North Texas in Russia. So it was probably about uh, 10 to 15 degrees inside the building. You could see your breath. Everybody was wearing big coats uh, in this giant, gorgeous uh, palace. And they wanted to know why an American would come to the Soviet Union with three children and a wife six months pregnant. She was about to leave uh, in a few weeks. We went to England to have Lewis. And why would, uh, why would an American family do that when hundreds of thousands of Russians uh, and Soviets were trying to get out of the Soviet Union? And many of them ended up uh, in California. <laughs> so, uh, so they asked me to come explain. So I said, okay, I'll come and explain. And uh, I gave a very simple presentation, but I said, well, a few years ago, Christ came into my life, and uh, I, I quoted Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. And I said, I have American friends that would like to help the Soviet Union live better. So if you will open your heart to Jesus Christ, he will forgive your sins and he'll make your life better. And so they were like... <laughs> And that one, one older man looked at me and said, you came here for that? <laughs> That's, I remember that response. I think they thought that I was maybe a little out of my mind. <laughs> so, well, after this happened, I realized that this, was, this had a, this had a big, uh, pretty big symbolic uh, meaning to it because... Uh, the communists, I don't know if you studied much about history, but Marx and Lenin both said that under communism, uh, religion would disappear because it's a perfect society. You have no more need for God because you're, you're just kind and loving to everyone. And <laughs> that worked out really well in the Soviet Union, <laughs> very well. So instead of, of the church disappearing, communism disappeared. Now that's the good news. And I thought that after that, uh, after that happened, we would see the kingdom of God in Russia kind of grow smoothly, go smoothly upwards, growing and growing and growing, and there would be no major setbacks. And as you know, among other things, February 24, 2022, uh, Russia invaded the Ukraine. And after that, one of our churches, the one Kathy and I started, uh, has lost two-thirds of its people. They left the country. We just had another pastor move to Kazakhstan. Um, many setbacks. Some good things have happened. But definitely the mood in Russia now is much more anti-gospel, anti-truth than it was before. I mean, propaganda is absolutely dominating, dominating the the uh, moral atmosphere in Russia as we speak. But I'd like to share with you that, that, that uh, it's not just in Russia that we've had real setbacks in the kingdom of God. I just found this morning the 
website, Open Doors, which is a ministry to get behind, uh, to get the gospel into countries where there's closed doors. And their website reads, over the 30 years of the Open Doors World, uh, the Open Doors World Watch List reporting, the global phenomenon of Christian persecution has grown alarmingly. Globally, more than 360 million Christians suffer at least high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. In 1993, Christians faced high to extreme levels of persecution in 40 countries. This number has now nearly doubled to 76 countries in 2023. In the top 50 alone, 312 million Christians now face very high extreme levels of persecution. Worldwide, one in seven Christians now experience at least high levels of persecution and, and discrimination with one in five in Africa, two out of five in Asia, and one in 15 in Latin America. So uh, as I was considering what was going on after this war, I watched uh, Star Wars episode number one with my grandkids about two, two or three weeks ago. And it's the uh, new hope, and they destroy the Death Star. And then what comes back? What, oh, well, I already gave you the hint. <laughs> the second movie in the Star Wars tri trilogy is what? Yeah, it's not a hard question. Okay, very good. The Empire Strikes Back. So what is going on, I think, if you study world history, is that the unreached parts of the world, they don't want to be reached, or at least the... The principalities and powers of evil there don't want those countries to be reached. India, China, Islam, Russia. These are uh, strongholds of the enemy that are going to be very difficult to reach. So it, with that as a context, I thought that Paul's letter of 2 Timothy, and I, we have, I work with 25 uh, pastors of 25 churches in Russia, and we're studying the book of 2 Timothy. So not only for, for you all, but I thought for them as well, what do we do when the empire strikes back? That's what we have to uh, think about today. So I'm only going to make three short points. Every point only takes an hour, so just relax. <laughs> okay? Just relax. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll get through this. <laughs> no, I have three short points. You all know I'm very short-winded. So, Paul was uh, in prison. We don't know how many times he was released. Uh, it could be a number of times. This is probably around A.D. 65 when he wrote uh, his last will and testament to really the man who was taking over his ministry as much as anyone he was. No one else was going to be writing the scripture the way Paul did that didn't see Christ but uh, Timothy was taking over the other responsibilities, as far as we know, uh, and was the leader that Paul was, was giving the most of his responsibility to as he faced the end of his life. And what did he tell 2 Timothy when the empire literally was striking back at him and he was waiting, uh, as, as far as church tradition tells us, to have his head cut off by a Roman sword, right? That's how they killed People. It was a privilege to be not crucified as slaves were. Instead, your head was cut off by a Roman sword, a very quick death. What did he tell Timothy? 
Well, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he, he told Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So what's he telling Timothy? Point number one. Don't think the situation I'm in, Timothy, is unusual. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, the catch to that is that uh, we often define godliness as I don't smoke, drink, or chew, nor go with girls that do. Right? That's, that's the Texas definition of godliness, right? <laughs> you know, you shouldn't go with a girl that chews. That's bad. But we read in 2 Timothy 4, 17, which I didn't, didn't take time to read today, but it's in 2 Timothy 4. Here's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. You see, Paul defined godliness as being fully committed to get the full message proclaimed to all the nations. See, for Paul, godliness was not a passive thing. It was an active thing. In fact, if you study the whole book, and we'll get into this next week and maybe a little bit the, in the following week, if you study the whole book of 2 Timothy, Paul was concerned that 2 Timothy had the wrong definition of godliness, basically. He literally felt that Timothy was passive in his faith. He was being too passive in his faith. Kathy and I just had the privilege of being with 20 Russian pastors in uh, Ephesus, the, rim, uh, the ruins of Ephesus that uh, obviously Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to. And one of the most uh, surprising things is you go there and there is, I have a picture of Kathy uh, in front of me, uh, there is a stadium that fits uh, holds 24,000 people. And if you read Acts chapter 19, they were, they, they were so upset about the message of the gospel that no, no, none of their pagan gods were real gods and only, only Christ was the real God, that they were all in that theater that we saw chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great. And guess what Paul wanted to do? Anybody read Acts 19? He wanted to go in there and talk to him. Guess what his disciples would not let him do? <laughs> they wouldn't let him in. <laughs> no, Paul. <laughs> okay? So for Paul, godliness was... <laughs> might have been crazy godliness. But godliness was going into that stadium. Godliness for Paul was going to Ephesus. She and I went to Pergama afterwards. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many pagan temples there were one after the other after the other, yet the gospel and the church were planted in Pergama. Unbelievable. Pergamum, maybe. In Texas, it's Pergama, but in the Bible, I think it's Pergama. Mum. So, uh, Paul, godliness is in context, is in, for Paul, godliness is in the context of the church militant. Godliness is engaging aggressively and militantly in a spiritual sense, in a pastoral sense, the whole message to the whole world, all nations, that all nations might hear it. And uh, so, uh, it's funny if you think about it, but for Presbyterians, missions is a subset of the message. 
But I work with Pentecostals in Russia. For Pentecostals, the message is a subset of the mission. See what I'm saying? So we Presbyterians tend to be weak on the mission, and Pentecostals tend to be weak on the message. They are equally urgent, and they indwell each other. Without faithfulness to the mission, you don't have the message. Without faithfulness to the message, you don't have the mission. For Paul, me speaking to the Communist Party that I just told you about, that was just part of godliness. Paul expected the gospel to be con go to Pergamum and to the Soviet Union, and when you get there and they can't figure out what, what in the world you're doing, they might ask you to come speak to them before they rip you to pieces, <laughs> as they would have if Paul had gone into the Ephesian stadium. Okay, so number one, persecution is normal. It's going on around the world as we speak. And persecution, I know this is going to shock you, be prepared. It's not being unliked on Facebook. Okay, that's not persecution. It's not somebody calling you a dirty Republican. That's not persecution. The, the list I read you, persecution today is your church building is destroyed, your church is disbanded, you're beaten, you're tortured, you're arrested, you're thrown in prison, or you're killed. That's persecution. So what they were talking about, the, the statistics I read to you, was not being unliked, unliked on Facebook. Shocking, right? Hopefully none of you have been unliked on Facebook. <laughs> okay, some of y'all think don't understand that I have a very different sense of humor. Okay, but a good one, a very good sense of humor. All right, number two, when the empire strikes back, what do we do? Well, Paul gives us a pattern here. We write poetry and we keep worshiping. You say, write poetry and keep worshiping. What in the world are you talking about? For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and the time of my departure has come. The word Paul uses here for the time of my departure is kairos, okay? There's two words in Greek for time. There's chronos, which means it's time for lunch. You know, just, it's just going through... Uh, Going through normal events is chronos. But kairos is a God-given, God-sculptured, God-ordained event, a special event. So Paul didn't say, it's time, you know, it's time for me to get my head cut off, <laughs> according to the schedule. Paul said, a God-ordained event, a gift of God is coming to me now. That's what he said. It's like uh, the kairos of my departure has come. And then the Greek for my departure is analus. What does that sound like if you, if you hear it through a Texas accent? Analus. Unloos. So analus, departure, is, is a uh, nautical term, a naval term, for when a giant ship comes into the to the. Uh, port, and you have these giant ropes, and you put them over a, a, a strong beam. I don't, I'm not a sailor, so I don't know the name of it, but you put it around a giant metal uh, post, and when you pick that rope up and let it go, you unloose the ship. So Paul says the God-given 
Uh, God gifted, God ordained time of my sailing away has come. Okay? My sailing away, my being unloosed. I'm being unloosed. There's a famous old rock and roll song, Unloose My Heart, right? So, and that's what's happening. God is unloosing Paul, and Paul looks at it that way. So, uh, what do you do when the empire strikes back? Well, Paul spoke of his own impending death in poetic, uh, beautiful terms. But the second thing is we keep on worshiping. In fact, today, this morning, I saw on the uh, Open Doors website, they have a T-shirt on the back that says, uh, Worship Through It. Worship Through It. Interesting. When you're persecuted, what do you do? That's what they were talking about. You worship through it. And so we already, in Sunday school, we read Exodus, and this is going to tie into our Sunday school lesson today. Exodus 29, 38 through 43. Paul said, uh, the... I'm being poured out as a drink offering. In Greek, that's spindomai. And in the Greek version of the Old Testament, that exact word in the verb form is used. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of the bin of beaten oil and a fourth of the hint of wine for a drink offering, okay? Now, this already irritates my Pentecostal friends because wine for a drink offering, they don't believe in drinking wine, and it's even worse if our body is wine. So Paul says, I'm about to be poured out as the wine offering in Exodus 29. It's the exact word, okay? There was a lamb, and then you added the wine to the lamb, and that was offered to the Lord. And, then we, <laughs> and so I, I make fun of them a little bit. I say, not only does Jesus turn the water into wine, but we ourselves, according to Paul, are containers of God's wine, and we are to be on the altar and be poured out. So that really irritates them. So then the scripture goes on, Exodus 29. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, you shall offer it with a grain offering as a drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma. So Paul is referring to a word that says his impending death is a pleasing aroma to the Lord, a fruit offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. And so what Paul is saying is, he was always on the altar because that is the only place God promises to meet with his people. You see, Paul was living on the altar, and when it came time for the results of him preaching the gospel to all the nations, the, the consequences of that, he just continued worshiping. He said, I'm just a drink. I'm living on the altar. He simply added the drink offering to his offering of it being a living sacrifice. Now he was going to be a sacrifice that was poured out in his blood. What we never... <laughs> and so if you look at Exodus 29, you paying attention? If you look at Exodus 29, can you worship God in a way that pleases him but not be on the altar? See? 
So the, the Baptists have it right. They call it an altar call, right? Why, perhaps, did they start, the Baptists start doing altar calls? Because to have a real dynamic relationship with God, you have to be on the altar. That's where he, God meets with us. If we haven't surrendered our lives unconditionally to the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot have a, offer a relationship with the Lord that pleases him that's a pleasing aroma. If what dominates our lives is our own plans and our own pleasures. Okay, that's what Paul's getting at here. There's only one place to meet with God. It's the altar of God. <laughs> and this also irritates the, the Pentecostals to a degree because I teach that that we have to worship God on his terms, not on our terms. We worship God on our terms. What's that called? Idolatry. <laughs> it's idolatry. We're just worshiping ourselves. That's a free sermon within a sermon. And so Mark 8.35 is part of the gospel we rarely hear. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. When the empire strikes back, we are to write poetry about whatever it is they're doing to us and stay on the altar of worship, which is the only place we can have a relationship with God that pleases God. And then finally, number three, be and raise up what? What happens after the Empire Strikes Back in the movie series. You all know. In Russia, we expect a response, so I'm very Russian. What's the third in the series? No one knows? Y'all need to have a little culture. Huh? Return of the Jedi, of course. We need to be God's Jedis, and we need to raise up return of other Jedis. Now, I myself was never, never talked to my children, our six children, about becoming missionaries. That never happened. Never, never crossed my mind for various reasons. But Paul is different. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, uh, very few commentators will speak honestly, or maybe they just don't understand what an evangelist is. There's only one evangelist, technically, in the scriptures. Second Timothy, I mean, Acts 21.8, it's Philip. He was an evangelist. In Acts 8, what did Philip do? Now, those who were scattered went abroad preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, there was much joy in that city. Going to the unreached people of your city or of the world, like Russia with only 1% that's evangelical, is what it means to be an evangelist. The other word for an evangelist is a missionary. Paul is telling, Paul is telling Timothy, do the work of a missionary. Do the work of a missionary. And why is this so astounding, if you think about it? Imagine with me, if you would, that T Tim Keller, maybe, I don't know if you know Presbyterians very well, Ligon Duncan, John Piper, and John MacArthur were all arrested 
and about to be executed. And they got together, because that would be the equivalent of Paul, who was the leader. All those guys put together would be, be the leader in their, in their situation, right? And imagine, if you would, that they wrote to us, they wrote to you, a letter and said, you know what we got in trouble for and why we're about to be executed? Do exactly what we did to get here. Can you imagine that? It's hard for me to imagine. Do exactly what we did to get in trouble. Do that. See, now, uh, Timothy wasn't going to write the Scripture, so he, doesn't, he can't do the work of an apostle. He didn't see Christ, and he wasn't called to write the Bible. But he, everything else that Paul did, Timothy was called to do. Do the work of a missionary. Do the work of an evangelist. So to me, that is astounding. Now, the, all of us have ways of getting out of hard commands, right? I do. <laughs> if I don't like it, I have to figure out a way to, you know, explain it away. It's not talking about me. So some people would say that's only for Timothy. Uh, but if you read Matthew 4.19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's essentially the same thing. A fisher of men is a missionary. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save whom? The lost. Okay? So, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, we're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to be evangelists. And uh, the, one of the most exciting things is the 25 churches we work with in Russia... Guess how many adults they baptize a year, every single church? Five adults per church. So what's 25 times 5? 125? 125 a year. I'm good at math. <laughs> That's a joke. 125 adult baptisms a year in the 25 churches we work with. And on the way here, so you won't think I just want to share a depressing story, uh, this morning, not on the way here, but this morning when I got up, I got a, a message from one of our pastors. He's in Crimea where bombs are falling that are being shot by the Ukrainians. Okay? So he's tape recorded. I can send it to you. Uh, the air, air raid sirens going off. And guess what they just did? In under bombardment, they opened up a house for artistic children and already through that house, they have people that have come to Christ just in the last few weeks and are attending church now under bombardment. So my feeling is if uh, Russians in the Ukraine or in the Crimea can lead people to Christ under bombardment, you and I can lead people to Christ in Arlington, in Arlington Texas. You believe that? That you and I can lead people to Christ right here? in this place? I believe it. When the empire strikes back, we are to be Jedi and to raise up Jedi. That's what Paul told Timothy in not so many words, <laughs> but in modern lingo, because I'm a very modern kind of a guy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.